read five verses of scripture this morning. My, my, my. Praise God. Is it just me here this morning? I could go right into altar call and we could be finished here today. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. Amen. The presence of God and the power of God is in the house of God. That's the way it should be. Amen. That's the way it should be. Amen. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 1. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. I want to preach just for a few moments this morning on the troubleshooter. The troubleshooter. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, are you a troubleshooter? The troubleshooter. We are introduced in this passage of scripture to a man by the name of Titus. Titus became a troubleshooter. Lord, we thank you and praise you today and stand in awe of your ability and your word. I pray that you would direct us today, strengthen us, encourage us in the house of God. We will give you thanks and praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated here this morning. Praise God. We know that the early church happened in a fashion of great expansion and excitement and power. Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost, and God starts the expansion of what he died for, which was the church, the inauguration of the church. The church is very important. Every once in a while, you'll come across somebody that will say, you know, I just stay at home and I pray and you need the house of God and you need a church. You need a church. Jesus Christ didn't die so that you could sit at home. He died so that you would be a part of a church because his body is the church. The hands and feet in the world are the church. And so it's not a Lone Ranger thing. Well, I don't go to church because there's hypocrites there. Okay, then just stay in your own little place and do your own thing, and you'll be among hypocrites there as well. There's hypocrites everywhere. So just because there's hypocrites in the church doesn't mean you abandon the church. It means you become a troubleshooter. <laughs> Praise God. You need a body to connect to. You need a pot to be planted in. And I'm telling you today, I'm overflowing today with an understanding of how valuable the church is. If I didn't feel very well today and I came to the house of God, which that's why Sister Bradford is here, I would be thankful for the church because I feel an uplifting in my spirit today. If I came dragging in this morning, I've been uplifted and encouraged and strengthened by the hand of the Lord. 
I need the church. I need to be a part of the church. I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for this church. But I'm also grateful that it's not just this church, but it's connected to a larger church that is around the world. I'm thankful for brothers and sisters that I don't even know somewhere on another continent who are in this thing called the faith, and they are a part of the church. Amen. So there's an expansion of this church. And there is persecution that happens in Acts chapter number 11 that causes the expansion of the church to move out of Jerusalem. And it spreads to Antioch. There are large numbers that respond to the gospel. Acts chapter 11 and verse number 19 tells us, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So there was an expansion out of Jerusalem. Stephen is stoned. There's great persecution. Paul, who was then called Saul, who was holding the coats of the people that stoned Stephen. There's a great persecution, and so there's a scattering out of Jerusalem into these places, and they were going, spreading the gospel to the Jews only. But some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. So expanded beyond just the Jerusalem Jewish congregation when, it, when persecution set in and it moved out of Jerusalem and it went into these locations in Antioch. There were some that were speaking only to the Jews, but there were some that, that maybe they didn't know any better. They're just like, this gospel's for everybody. We're so excited about this. This can't just be for the Jews. It's got to be for everybody. And so they start speaking to the Grecians, which are the Greek people. And they start preaching the Lord. And the Bible says in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. The tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came, that is Barnabas, and saw the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So there was an outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Jerusalem, but they were first called Christians in Antioch. When what happened? When somebody started testifying about God's goodness to the Greeks, and the Greeks started having revival. The gospel is not for any select people. It's not for any select group or person or nationality. The gospel is for everybody. Body. And thank God in the house of God today, we've got a collection of everybody. I want our church to look like our community. I don't want our church to be homogenous. Everybody looks the same. I want our church to look like the community that we live in. We need to pray that God brings us in a revival that pulls people together instead of pushes people away. 
Praise God. I said a revival like that that brings people together. And this is what happened here in this passage of Scripture in Antioch. And the gospel spread. And so there was a conflict that arose. There was a reactionary wing of the Jerusalem church that wanted to demand circumcision and food laws for Greek believers. They were still stuck under the rubric of the law. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the dietary laws. And so that was in Jerusalem. Well, we can see that when revival started spreading, that it spread to Greek people that didn't know anything about dietary restrictions and circumcision was not a part of their experience. And when the Holy Ghost is poured out, it is poured out in a way in which they continue from where they are and God starts doing great things. This is why we read in our text in Galatians, Paul talks about Titus when they got together and they met a delegation from Jerusalem, they were determined and Titus was a part of that group. He said in this passage of scripture that we did not give place by subjection, no, not for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. We are... Titus was, was an individual that stood resolute and steadfast and said, the gospel that has been poured out to us is something that we accept the Holy Ghost, but circumcision is not something that we have to follow. Dietary laws are not something that we have to follow. And so this, this created a conflict in the early church. How were they going to deal with this expansion? This also is spelled out when Peter is sitting with some Gentiles and then when some of the delegation from Jerusalem come who are Jewish, he removes himself from the Gentiles and joins the Jews. And Paul calls him out on it. And he says, hey, wait a minute. This gospel is to everybody. It's not exclusive. And so the Holy Ghost is being poured out. There's large numbers that are responding. The world is being impacted. And so the church has to come to some kind of, of an agreement of how we're going to deal with this expanding revival. What's going to be the resolution? Acts chapter 15 gives to us the, rev the resolution. Paul comes to Jerusalem and he meets with all the elders, Peter, James, and John. And he meets with them and, and they agree that what we are going to do is we're going to send out a letter. And the letter is found in Acts chapter 15, and we have the ability to read it. It's verse number 23 of Acts chapter 15. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. So here's the letter. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren, which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, forasmuch as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well, fare ye well. And so this was the resolution of the, the early conflict 
of the spreading of the gospel. That the gospel is to the Jews, and if the Jews want to keep circumcision and dietary laws, that is fine. But do not put that weight upon the Greeks, because we have all come in to the same gospel. And what is the gospel, ladies and gentlemen? It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Jesus Christ culminated the Old Testament law. In Jesus Christ, he becomes the law. He becomes the Sabbath. He becomes their land. He becomes the temple. He becomes everything. Everything is wrapped up in him. And so the gospel supersedes everything else. It's his death, burial, and resurrection. How do you identify with his death, burial, and resurrection? That's what salvation is. Salvation is identifying with his death because that's repentance. You have to repent of your sins. That's, that's a death. That's not just words that are spoken in a confession that is made. That is a death. You got to put to death. You got to mortify the deeds of the body. And so there's a death there. That's identifying with this death. There's a burial. There's a baptism in his name, in Jesus' name, that remits the sins that you've repented of. That's identifying with his burial. And then the Holy Ghost comes. You shall receive the Holy Ghost. It's not something that's just an added gift that's out there somewhere. It is something that you can claim the Holy Ghost is going to come in your life, which is the resurrecting power that takes Jesus out of a, a tomb somewhere. And there's power and life in that. You don't serve a dead God. You serve a living God because of the resurrecting power that is in and through the Holy Ghost. This is the gospel message. Amen. Praise God. This is the cohesion that brings Jew and Gentile and everybody else together. Amen. And so this is what they agreed upon in Acts chapter number 15. And Titus, I've said all of that by way of introduction because Titus is inserted right in the middle of that because Paul brings Titus to Jerusalem and Titus, no, not for one hour. We... <laughs> Not for one hour. We, we are not submitting to circumcision. No, not going to happen. And neither is the dietary laws. Let's agree that the Holy Ghost has been poured out upon all flesh. And so Titus, immediately you get a sense of his fortitude. He's a troubleshooter. He becomes a troubleshooter. He becomes somebody well-valued in Paul's mission ministry there's other people that paul values timothy is valued but timothy you can tell is 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 not as strong-willed as titus as a matter of fact just for a brief excursus let's look at paul's some of paul's duties that he gives to titus we know that in paul's ministry one of the difficulties that he had while he was at ephesus is the Corinthian church was experiencing all kinds of spiritual growing pains, if you will. And Paul had to deal with that. And there were several letters that Paul sends back and forth. Some of them we don't have. But we have some, and so we know the problem was that they had become so spiritual that they were, they were doing carnal things, thinking because they were so spiritual that they could get by with some of that. There were divisions in the church. Schisms is the way Paul described. 
Some of them said, I've been baptized by Apollos. And somebody said, I've been baptized by Paul. And, and, and so they were, they were fragmenting into groups based on who baptized them. <laughs> this is terrible. The church is supposed to be unified, not, not split into splinter cells and groups. Supposed to be a unity so that the gospel can go forward. And how can the gospel go forward if there is disunity and there's fragmentation? You're not going to get anywhere where somebody's against somebody else. But if you get everybody on the same page, then you start looking at where you should be looking, which is saving and seeking the lost rather than looking at each other. This is problematic. And this has plagued churches from the very beginning. And it's something that we should be resolute about. Uh, we're all in this thing together. We're not going to fight. Among, I could have an opinion. You could have an opinion. But ultimately, we're in this thing together. And revival must occur because we're together. One of the greatest challenges of, of a pastor is, is, is not, in 10 years of pastoring, going on 10 years of pastoring, is not about the gospel. And it's not about doctrine. It's not about teaching because most people... They, they will align themselves. It's what anchors them is the teaching, the word that anchors them. That's not the struggle. The struggle is trying to keep people who get offended from, from then trying to go out and grab other people to join their offense. And then pretty soon you're jockeying and you've got feelings and you've got all this kind of stuff. That just grinds the wheels of the gospel. The worst phone call you could ever receive as a pastor of a church wanting to have revival is some stupid mistake and failure that you know is going to have ramifications beyond this point, but it's going to have a ripple effect down the road six, six months to a year, and maybe even after that some people that don't know any better or don't know will hear about it a year later and bring it up and it starts swirling around again. That is devastating. I'll tell you what you should do. You should do this. You should say, you know what? I don't want to hear that junk. I just want to have revival. Are there some Bible studies to teach? Can I get in the choir? Is there a way I can learn? Can I pray a little more? I don't want to get bogged down in all the junk. I'm telling you what, sleepless nights, it's terrible, terrible. And this is what I would tell anybody that wants to be a pastor. You better be very careful in what you desire because that's a real struggle. It's a real struggle. You're trying to keep everybody on board. You're trying to save everybody. You're trying to employ wisdom and knowledge. And you're going to get attacked because you're going to be so-called favorite to somebody and some things. And, and I'll tell you this. I, I've got a track record here of 10 years. I've never played favorites on this platform with anybody. I've, I've had people say, how are you going to handle that? Because where we came from, the ministry always was, was treated differently. Not here, not in this church, and not under my leadership. It doesn't happen that way because we're all on the same page. It doesn't work that way. And so that, that becomes like a vice grip. And you get caught in the middle of it. A lot of, <laughs> lot of pressure there. A lot of pressure there. And so this church in Corinth, they're, they're going through all this. They're, they're arguing about who baptized them, and that's a particular group they want to be in. They're, they're too spiritually minded, and, and in their spiritual mindedness, they're carnal. And on top of that, they've got this 
sexual immorality that's going on that they're bragging about that they should be ashamed of because a man is shacking up with his mother-in-law. And so this is a problem. And Paul, and Paul, he's got some major issues here to try to deal with. And so he sends Timothy. Timothy goes, and it's apparent that Timothy is not very successful because Timothy, if you read Timothy, Paul talks to him about being an individual, he, he, he appears to be a little more timid, uh, not quite as resolute, and so he, he doesn't come away with a lot of success. Paul himself goes, and he's very sorry, and he talks about having to come, and he's shamed by the whole experience because there's people in the church that rise up against him. And so Paul even himself has some struggle trying to deal with the Corinthians. And then he sends Titus, and Titus is able to make some headway. In the midst of all of those difficulties, Titus becomes the troubleshooter that is able to walk into Corinth and say, here's a letter from Paul. Now, let's get this figured out and let's get back to being the church because y'all are not a good representation of what the church is supposed to be. And there's a world to save in Corinth and we're not doing a good job. How about we get revival so that we're doing a good job in our community? Titus walks away from that, and he has some success. He becomes the troubleshooter, and so one of his assignments was going to Corinth. Another assignment, which is the lion's share of what we get in the New Testament, is Titus is sent to Crete. And this was no small task, and it was very unpromising. And that's, that's the connection and relationship here today. We live in a world that when we look around us, we will say is very unpromising. And it's no small task. And how could we ever accomplish anything in this world that we live in? Paul sends Titus to such a place. And the example of Titus gives to us the ability to apply to our own lives to say, if he can do it and the power of God is with him, we can do it as well. And so Titus is sent to this island of Crete, and he's sent there to straighten things out. He's sent there to set things in order. Titus chapter 1, verse number 5. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. So I want you to set things in order. Well, what's out of order? What's in disorder? What is chaotic? Why, do, why does Titus even need to go to Crete? What's the problem? In verse number 10, Paul said there's many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. So there's that, there's that Jewish contention that's, that's always there in the New Testament church. And they're in Crete, and there they are. That, what are they doing? They're unruly, they're vain talkers, they're deceivers whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. They're, they're, they're bringing in money, teaching something that needs to be set in order. So Titus, I want you to go to the island of Crete, and I want you to set that in order, because it's not in order, and it needs to be fixed, okay? And so here Titus is. He's got struggles from within, because these are of the circumcision, and so Paul tells him, I want you to appoint elders in each city. These are people in Crete that are stuck in trouble. They're stuck in trouble. 
from within and from without. They are hard to move off a of carnal. They're stuck on carnal, which, if you would allow me to say it this way, uh, without being uh, too unkind and uncaring, when you get stuck on carnal, you get stuck on stupid. <laughs> you just do. It's a fact. And if you get offended by that, you're probably stuck on carnal. That's a problem. Because nobody should get stuck there. The business about the church and the kingdom of God is moving in spiritual power and vision and understanding. Not getting stuck on difficulties and failures and problems. And so they're stuck in trouble. Paul said, I want you to go set things in order. So he's got this contention from within these churches. And then... From without, he's in a very, very unpromising place. Titus chapter 1 and verse number 12, one of their own poets, a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. Now, what does that mean? Well, lying means they, all, they like to lie. <laughs> evil beasts means they're just carnal people and, 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 and they're deceptive and everything that comes with that. And what's slow bellies? <laughs> That's interesting phraseology. Their appetite, their gluttons for, for not, it's not just talking about food, it's the appetite. What they're feeding themselves continually, it's not good. It's not good. This witness is true, says Paul. What they're saying about themselves is in fact true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. In other words, Titus, you got to go to Crete. And you got to preach things that are not very popular. And you're going to run into some conflict and confrontation. Okay? But you got to be a troubleshooter because the church has to be the church. And if people don't want the church, they don't need to be in the church. And so you got to set things in order. You got to set things right. He said in verse 15 Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. This is, this, this is the environment. <laughs> This is the environment that Paul sends Titus as the troubleshooter to set things order in order in Crete. And so Paul said, here's, here's something you need to know, Titus. You don't want to be a trouble starter. There's already enough trouble there. And I think that's a great point here to make. Don't be a trouble starter. We've already got enough trouble, okay? Don't be a trouble companion. And pick up troubles along the way. Don't be a trouble apologist. Don't be the problem. Don't add to the problem. Don't create the problem. Don't be absorbed by the problem. Fix the problem. Titus, you're called to Crete to fix the problem. Can't be a preacher in the pulpit that's causing the problems. Starting the problems, joining with the problems. Titus, you got to be better than that. We didn't call you. We didn't appoint you to Crete so that you could get wrapped up in all the drama and the problems. You got to preach the word and be sound in doctrine so that the church can be what the church needs to be. You got to be a troubleshooter. You got to be a troubleshooter. 
And so what does that mean? That means that you are a mediator of disputes that at some times are at an impasse. You've got to walk in there and you've got to mediate those things. You've got to be a person that is skilled at solving or anticipating problems and difficulties. Problems and difficulties. You've got to be a troubleshooter, Titus. You're walking into a, an environment that is not the best environment. And, and you, you've got to allow the Holy Ghost to direct you. And so there are some skills that you, you, you need to employ when you're walking into a world of trouble. Number one, you need wisdom in appointing elders in every city. You've got to have some wisdom about yourself to know who wants to push this thing forward and who's just here wanting to cause trouble. And how do you do that? You need to appoint some elders in every city. So he says in verse number six, if there's any blameless, a husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, a bishop must be blameless, the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men and women. I added women in there. That's the general term for humanity. Sober, just, holy, temperate holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. You got to have wisdom about who you're appointing and who you're appointing needs to be these kind of people. God help us in this church, GBFPC, where we follow truth, proclaim truth, and celebrate truth, that we have people that are troubleshooters, that love hospitality, love good men and women. They are sober, they're just, they're holy, they're temperate. They hold fast the faithful word, and they're able by sound doctrine to exhort and convince the gainsayers that are in our world. This is what Titus has to, he's, he's got to find these people. And so that's the first thing he has to do. And secondly, he's got to have courage because he's in a struggle. If you're, if you're going to live in this world in 2020, you better have some courage. Because we live in a mixed up, confused, upside down world with a lot of different viewpoints. There's got to be courage and intestinal fortitude on the inside of you that says, I'm going to live for God no matter what. I don't care what environment I'm in on the job. I'm living for God because God has called me. God's called me. And so I'm going to have some courage. I'm not going to let the things of the world roll over me and absorb me into all their stuff. I'm not going to let Hollywood, entertainment, politics, finances, economics, anything else. I'm going to have some courage. I'm going to stand up for God. I'm going to stand up for God in my home. I'm going to be what I need to be in my home, on the job, wherever I'm going. I'm going to have courage. I know it's a crazy world, but I'm going to stand can't be a troubleshooter if there's no courage. <laughs> you got to have courage to silence the Judaizers. Titus 1 verse 13. This witness is true. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. What Paul is saying right here is something that's not even taught anymore in our schools. 
You know what needs to be taught in our school? One thing needs to be civics because people don't know anything about our government. They don't know the three branches of government. They don't know what, what the executive, legislative, the judicial, they have no clue what any of that means. Why? We've stripped civics out. And what have we inserted in? LGBTQT and all kinds of other stuff, social things. We've inserted all that kind of stuff. And we've stripped out the stuff that was part of a traditional education that would help us understand how we are formed as a government. Now, that's not politics. I'm not much on, on speaking politics, okay? That's just the fact of the matter that, that we've inserted some other things. Paul right here is talking. What he's saying right here, so civics is, is something that needs to be taught, and civility is another thing that should be taught. We live in a cancel culture. If you've never heard that, you don't know what that means. What that means is if you disagree with me, then I'm going to cancel you out. Ever come from? Where did the days when it used to be good to talk across the table from somebody who had different opinions, and at the end of the thing you didn't necessarily agree, but you weren't you weren't brawling? We live in a society that if 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 your bean burrito is not cooked well enough at Taco Bell, then it's going to show up on social media in this big brawl where people are fighting about the dumbest stuff. There needs to be some, this is what Paul is saying here. Titus, teach these people civility. Obey principalities and powers. Magistrates, that would be governmental things. Be ready to do a good work. Don't speak evil. Don't fight and brawl. But show meekness unto all men. Have some, some civility. Avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that's a heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. So Paul is telling Titus, you've got to be a troubleshooter. You're walking, <laughs> you're walking into a crazy environment. But you've got to have some doctrine and you've got to have some teaching and you have to help these people recognize that they need to bring it up a little bit because where they're living is in dysfunction and failure. And there's much better things for you and God's got a greater calling on your life and there's a purpose and there's a mission and you should be doing the work of God. So Titus steps in as the troubleshooter. So number one, he's got to find the wisdom to connect himself with good people and then he has to have some courage and then thirdly he needs to address the needs of each socio-cultural group with sensitivity and sound teaching huh? I want to be in the ministry you start reading Titus <laughs> and look at what he has to do and the things that he's got to deal with and the struggle that he's got to face and, and the line that he has to walk in. So what does that mean? Well, he talks to the men. He talks to the aged women. He talks to the young women. He talks to the young men. He talks to the servants. And he talks to the masters. He's covering the whole socioeconomic spectrum in the church in Crete. He says that the aged men should be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. He says to the women, 
the aged women that they should become holy, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. He tells the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God might not be blasphemed. Work together, work together, be unified, so that there's not a, a blasphemy that can be a charge from the world. He tells the young men that they should be sober-minded in everything showing a pattern of good works, uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Live your life in such a way that people, if they do say something about you, they're lying. Because your, your activity and your sound speech is godly. And so if somebody's going to throw something on you, it's the wrong perception because it's deception and a lie. So you got to manage that. He speaks to the servants. He says, be obedient unto masters. And in the process of talking to masters, to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. So he, he tags that on the servants and the masters. Good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God in all things. So this is, this is the troubleshooter walking into Crete. Let me, let me hurry here and come to a conclusion. He says you should put them into mind to be subject unto uh, the powers that be. He tells, he tells Titus to preach about avoiding foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and these kind of things. And, and the way that you're going to do that is by sound doctrine. Even when you are in an uncompromising and unpromising setting, even in a world that is upside down, this is where Titus is called. The world, and this is my point here tonight as musicians come, what the world needs in our world, 2020, how we take, what we're doing here is exegesis. Exegesis is everything that I've said and I've sprinkled in a little bit of hermeneutics. Exegesis is what is the text actually saying? Exo, out of Jesus, the study of. So the study of what comes out of the text is what we have been studying with Titus in Crete. The hermeneutics is, okay, how do we apply what that actually says to today? I'm telling you today, there is a need, a real need for troubleshooters. You want to have a revival church? You better find some troubleshooters because there's going to be people that try to tear up. There's going to be people just by their own personality, and it's really not anything necessarily wrong with them, but they're just full of drama, and they say stuff that they shouldn't say. They don't think before they say it. They spread stuff around, and somebody has got to step up and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, that's probably not a good idea, and the reason it's not a good idea is because it's going to slow the movement of the church and where we're wanting to go. We got to get on the same page of revival. We got to spend some time praying. We got to spend some time worshiping instead of some time on the phone or talking about this or that because all of that stuff does not gender revival. What we need is revival and there's got to be somebody that is a troubleshooter that walks into an uncompromising world. And says there is a there's a better way and they come with a message of strength the world may be unpromising but God desires to turn what is unpromising on its head 
You know why we do what we do? Because we live in an unpromising world, but we're constantly reaching. And guess who comes in? People who are tired of a crazy world. And when we look at them initially, we may say there's not a whole lot of promise there. And then God shows up and says, I'll turn that on its head and show you that I'm still in the business of doing signs, miracles, and wonders. I'll make something out of that person. Praise God, this church is is full of people like that. Praise God. There's something good and profitable that's coming through the action of people who see clearly. Listen to this in conclusion in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 11 because this, this is to the whole church. This is what Paul is wanting for the churches it create through the troubleshooter by the name of Titus that steps into that environment. This is what God wants. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. Salvation is what God wants. Hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What was he saying? There's hope. There is hope in an unpromising world. There is hope if Titus, if you could preach strong doctrine, if you could stand in the gap, if you could be an example, if you could inspire and influence, there is hope for a world. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. This is what God intends and what God wants. There are good things and profitable things that God wants to bring to a world. As we stand together in the house of God, the last passage of scripture that I want to read for this church in Crete that Paul has sent the troubleshooter Titus. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. These things are good and profitable unto men. This is what God wants to pour out. This is what God wants to take into an unpromising place. What? Righteousness. That's what he's bringing. The washing of regeneration. He's regenerating. He's turning things around. The renewing of the Holy Ghost. These are the things that God wants to pour out. And so Titus, when he comes to Crete, he's bringing these things through the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. Here's my question for you tonight or for today. My question for you today is this. What are you bringing to the unpromising place? What are you bringing? What are you bringing? What are you bringing, Titus? I'm coming with a blessed hope. <laughs> yeah, but do you see what the Cretans are like? Oh, I know what they're like, but I got a better hope than what the Cretans are. I'm coming with works of righteousness, not my own, but because of his righteousness. I'm coming with a renewing of the Holy Ghost because God's going to renew things and he's going to change things. I'm coming with a blessed hope. I'm coming with a glorious appearing. I'm coming... What are you bringing to the unpromising place? Mm. 
What are you bringing to your job? What example are you bringing? What are you bringing to your home? Oh, I'm going to preach now for about five, 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 uh, two minutes. Because this is really where the rubber meets the road. What are you bringing to the unpromising place? What are you bringing? What are you bringing? What are you bringing? What am I bringing in my home as a father? Am I bringing what Titus, the troubleshooter, was supposed to bring into the environment of the home? Yes, I'm coming, and I'm bringing these things. What are you bringing on your job? What are you bringing in your career? What are you bringing to your school? What are you bringing to your family? We live in an unpromising world full of a lot of different things and confusion. But is there a troubleshooter somewhere that steps into a very difficult task and raises their hands and says, there's a better way. There's a way of salvation. There's a way of redemption. There's a way of strength. I'm convinced that there are people that are dissatisfied with the unpromised world that they live in. If only they could come across somebody that was an apostolic troubleshooter that brings and elevates the goodness of God. Praise God. Take my heart and hold it. Absorb this for a few moments.